Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. It's because of this mind that refuses to submit to God and comes to this place, uh, Paul describes here, of being past feeling. No conscience, no shame, no mercy, no compassion, no love, no conviction. And it leads ultimately to lewdness, lust, it leads to uncleanness, just the inability to be satisfied by any of these things. Pretty much a description of our culture. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, in a message titled, What Christ Taught Us. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So our text is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. But let me, let me just remind you that we've, we've now entered into this section of the epistle where it's uh, giving us now instruction on how to, to personally live out our faith in Christ. I pointed out many times that the, the first half of the epistle, the first three chapters, were really laying a doctrinal foundation. They were telling us essentially all that God has done for us in Christ. And, and never once in those three chapters was there any word of instruction so much as to how we were to respond or behave in relation to that. Um, Paul saved all of that for this moment right here. So as we came to the fourth chapter, we began to transition in. We talked about our walk, and we talked about the importance of walking in unity. And then as we move now uh, away from the subject of unity, in a sense, Paul's, Paul's dealt with that pretty extensively, reminding us to uh, do our best to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, we're coming now to a consideration of um, our walk in regard to the area of holiness. And both of these things, unity and holiness, are a part of what Paul earlier referred to as walking worthy of the calling. But, but the term walk, Paul uses that frequently. And what he's referring to there is our conduct or behavior or our lifestyle. And here in the 17th verse beginning here in verse 17 and going all the way through the ninth verse of the sixth chapter, uh, the apostle is going to be giving us instruction on how to live the Christian life and what, what that looks like. And he's going to look at it in a variety of different contexts, just our, our personal lives, our lives together as believers, our lives in relation to our families, our marriages, our children, even dealing with things that would pertain to our, our professions, our vocation, our workplace, things like that. So those are the things that he is going to be addressing as we go through this section. But it all begins here in the 17th verse. But the, the way Paul approaches it 
is first of all from the negative and then from the positive. The Christian life is lived out in both negatives and positives. So there are certain attitudes and behaviors that we as Christians are to put off. That's the negative. So the negative command is, you know, the Bible telling us things we're not to do. But then on the other hand, there are the positives and those would be those attitudes and behaviors that are to mark our lives as the people of God. Paul put it this way in writing to Titus. And again, notice the order. To Titus, he said, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So that's the negative. We're to, we're to no longer live a certain way. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live, here's the positive, soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And so to here, Paul starts in verse 17 with the negative. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So you see, Paul starts with the negative command to no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. But, but first notice, he says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. When Paul says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, what he's really saying is, look, what I'm telling you right now is from the Lord. I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord. When, I, when he says, I testify in the Lord, he's speaking as God's spokesman. Now, I bring that up because the, we've, we find this occurring today, uh, more frequently lately, it seems to me, where people are wanting to sort of juxtapose uh, Paul and Jesus. You know, you, you might read something that Paul said, and somebody will come along and say, well, you know, it doesn't matter if Paul said it. Jesus didn't say it. So it, unless Jesus said it, then it's not binding on us. And, and with that, they dismiss much of what Paul said. But what Paul said is what Jesus said. Just like what Moses said is what Jesus said. Or just like what Isaiah said, Jesus said. We believe that all scripture is given by God. And so whether it's Jesus speaking or Paul speaking or Moses speaking or Isaiah speaking or Peter speaking, it's all the word of the Lord. So we can't be thinking that, well, just because Jesus didn't say it specifically, it's not applicable, not binding, or it's not true. If the apostle said it, it's as good as if Jesus said it. Peter understood that. Peter referred to Paul's writings as scripture. And for the apostles, scripture meant that authoritative word from God. So, so Paul now, as he's going to go into this instruction on how to live, he's basically saying, this is 
God's word to you on these issues. So, no longer walking as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now here Paul is generalizing. You could certainly find a Gentile here and there that was not behaving exactly the way he describes here. But in a general sense, this is the way the world was in Paul's day. And it's also the way uh, the world is in our day. And, And look at how he breaks it down. They're walking, he says, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, and then who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So notice, they're walking in the futility of their mind. That means they're, they're walking according to a mind that is void of the truth of God. Boy, that's a description of our culture today. It's becoming increasingly like that. But that's exactly how it was in Paul's day as well. Paul says to his audience here that many of them used to behave the same way. And of course, many of us today could say the same thing. We behave the same way as well. We walked in the futility of our mind. We lived uh, according to our own thinking processes that were void of the truth of God. But notice, this is the, the end result of something that began much earlier. And look how it began. If you just look at this process, but go now the other direction, it starts with the blindness of the heart. The blindness of the heart or the hardness of the heart, which leads then to an ignorance, but it's a willful ignorance, which then results in an alienation from the life of God, which then brings uh, a darkening to the human understanding. And then finally, you come to this place of, of the futility of the mind. You know, this is really a description of humanism. Humanism is the unaided mind, the unassisted mind, uh, man left to himself. But you see what the humanist doesn't want to acknowledge is that men are sinful. And so if you're left to yourself, if you're left without the assistance of God's truth, then you're left to a sinful mind, a corrupt mind. And it's interesting because every society that embraces this idea that human reason, that's what humanism is. It's the idea that human reason is adequate, it's sufficient. We don't need any outside information. We don't need any outside revelation coming to us. In other words, we don't need God to speak to us to tell us how to live. We can figure that out on our own. You know, we're not doing that good of a job, really. <laughs> and, and every single culture that has thought that and adopted that humanistic mentality has in the long term self-destructed. That's where it always leads. You know, there's a similar process really described in Romans chapter one. If you look at Romans chapter one and compare it with Ephesians four, they're very similar. Let me refresh your memory on Romans chapter one. It starts with this. They did not glorify God as God, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, birds, beasts, four-footed animals, creeping things, and so forth. But then it goes on to say, therefore God gave them up to vile passions. 
It's the same thing here. It's the same kind of process. And wherever you find this, this uh, whether it's in an individual person or whether it's in a collective uh, society, wherever you find this mentality that human reason is sufficient and we do not need the intervention of God, you always find in the end that the society self-destructs. And that's, that's the road that we are on. You know, from uh, the standpoint of Bible prophecy back in, you know, whatever, the 80s or even further back than that, people would always wonder, well, why isn't America in Bible prophecy? And well, you know, what's going to happen to the United States? And occasionally somebody would say, well, we're going to self-destruct. We, we don't need anybody really to overcome us or destroy us. We'll, we'll just, and, and oftentimes the comparison has been between America and the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire self-destructed because of these same kinds of mentalities. And that's pretty much what's happening to us today, isn't it? But it's because of this, this uh, mind that refuses to submit to God and comes to this place, uh, Paul describes here, of being past feeling. No conscious conscience, no shame, no mercy, no compassion, no love, no conviction. And it leads ultimately to lewdness. It leads to lust. It leads to uncleanness. It leads to just the inability to be satisfied by any of these things. It's pretty much a description of our culture. So this is how many of the Ephesians used to live. This is how many of us used to live. And Paul says we are no longer to live like that. See, the gospel makes a change. The gospel comes and takes us from this place of walking according to the futility of our minds and brings us into a whole new understanding of life and reality through the truth of God. And so there's absolutely going to be a change. Now, occasionally you hear people suggesting that it doesn't really matter if there's any change in your life as long as you, you know, believe a certain few things and that's all that it takes. But that's not what the Bible says. Paul says we're no longer to walk. There is to be a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. If you have become a Christian at a certain point, there's going to be outward evidence that that has taken place. It's not, it's not good enough to just simply have a verbal testimony, yes, I received Christ, there has to be something in your life to show that. You're no longer engaged in the things that you were engaged in. I know that happened to me. I know that happened to many of you as well. Before I knew Christ, I lived a certain way. When I met Christ, I understood intuitively by the Spirit, and then of course, because of the influence of God's Word, I understood I'm not to live this way anymore. And through the grace of God and the power of God, God enables us then to live according to the way he wants us to live. And so Paul then makes reference here to having learned from Christ. And he starts again with the negative. You have not so learned Christ. So in other words, what he's saying is Christ did not teach them that they could remain in their former sinful lifestyles. Now, evidently, some of the Ephesians were thinking that that was okay. That's why Paul is addressing it. And the same is true today. 
Beware of those today who say, as long as you believe in Jesus, it doesn't really matter how you live, just as long as you're a loving person. Now, I am hearing this more and more today than I think I've ever heard it before. Now, I am all for the love of God. And those of you that listen to me preach regularly, you know I'm, I'm emphasizing the love of God, the grace of God, and that's where I'm firmly rooted in my own personal life, and that's where I want us to be, and I think that's the, the place the Bible wants us to be. But never, when, when we're emphasizing the love of God, are we at all suggesting that that means we just have a free-for-all and do what we want because God loves us. Yeah, God loves us, absolutely. And he's proved it in many ways, uh, primarily by sending his son to die for us. But he came to die for us to do something, to set us free from sin. God loves us, yes. He He knows that sin destroys us. So he's determined to set us free from sin. But there are those today who I am hearing more often who would suggests that you know it's it's okay to go on in sin it doesn't matter because god loves you unconditionally regardless of anything and for them that means just keep doing what you're doing and don't worry about it i i often hear people say well hey look at jesus well let me just tell you a quick story um, a few months back somebody came out uh, a christian came out and announced publicly that they were gay and they were embracing that, that, that lifestyle. That's who they were. And they know God loves them. And that's all that really matters. And Christianity has been wrong on this subject for a long time. And so now they're just proud to make the announcement. And with the announcement then came a lot of other Christians chiming in, affirming Amen. God bless you. God loves you. You're right. That's great. Be yourself. All that really matters is that you know you you fulfill who you are because that's that's what God's love intends for you and all of this. And and actually, um, as I was watching this unfold, a person, a friend of mine, was was chiming in with that kind of affirmation. And so I thought, okay, I gotta I gotta interrupt this thing here. I gotta I gotta throw in a. A word or two. So, so I did. So I said, okay, so wait a second. Now, are, are we saying that homosexuality is no longer sin? Is, is that what you're saying? And then the person and I had a conversation and uh, the conversation kind of went like this. Well, no, I, you know, I, I understand that kind of, but you know, I feel like God's called me to minister in that community. And, and I just wanted to affirm them and love them and let them know that God loves them. And, um, and after all, I'm just doing what Jesus did because Jesus just loved the sinners. Okay, Jesus loved the sinners. Yes, he did. And oftentimes we hear today, well, you know, Jesus, he hung out with the prostitutes and he hung out with the drunkards and he hung out with these people and he, he shunned the religious people. Well, what do we mean when we say Jesus hung out with them? Was he partying with them? Was he drinking and getting drunk? Was he... Uh, engaging in the lewd activities? Of course he wasn't. And it's, it's really, to say that he hung out with them is, is probably the wrong way to communicate it. Jesus certainly went to them and he certainly reached out to them and he certainly showed them that the love of God was greater than their sin. But Jesus's objective always was to bring them out of that. And in all of the cases that people often point to, they only tell part of the story. 
Yes, Jesus comes along. And yes, he immediately forgives the woman who's taken in adultery. But when it's all said and done, he says, go and sin no more. And he immediately uh, forgives the man who was uh, afflicted physically because of his sin. And he forgives him, he heals him. But at the end, what does he say? He says, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So we have to think properly about this. Jesus welcomes sinners, absolutely. He was gracious with sinners, absolutely. We are sinners. We need to be that way toward each other. But his objective, both then and now, is to bring people out of their sin, not to affirm them in their sin. So that's the mistake that is made. We have not so learned Christ. Christ did not come to teach us, stay in your sin, don't worry about it, it's all good, God loves you. That, that's not the message. God loves us. And as some have said, I don't know who originated this uh, little word, but it's right. He loves you so much that he will not let you stay the way you are. He loves you so much that he's absolutely committed to changing you for the better. He's going to do it. That's what he does. So we, we did not learn from Christ. This is what Paul's saying. You didn't learn from Christ that you could go on living in your sin. What did we learn from Christ? Well, he's going to tell us in a moment what we did learn from Christ. And we'll look at that when we come to verse 22. But let me just take a little bit of a diversion here. Um, The terms that Paul uses, learned Christ, heard him, been taught by him. These are important things to consider. John Stott said, these are remarkable expressions. They evoke the image of a school. They evoke the image of a school. Now, Jesus was recognized as a rabbi in his day. A disciple is a person who followed a teacher. In the Jewish case, it would have been a rabbi. So they followed the rabbi. They followed the teaching of the rabbi. They followed the example of the rabbi. In the Greek culture, it would have been a philosopher. But the whole point is, you were a disciple of a person, so you could learn from them, you could imitate them, you could take on board their understanding of of life and so forth. So as Christians, Jesus is our rabbi, so to speak. He's our teacher. He's the one who is instructing us. But the interesting thing is that he is the essence of what we are being taught as well. He is the substance of Christian teaching. Paul did not link Christian belief and behavior to a creed or a code. And this is important to understand. He linked them to Christ. He did not link them to a precept or a principle, but he linked them to a person. You see, here's what's happened, and here's what occasionally happens still in the church. The person of Jesus gets put in the background and principles and precepts get put in the foreground. That's how this thing turns into a religion. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. 
A great book that I recently read was the book called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. And this is written by a young man named Gavin Ortland. And he is a brilliant writer. And this book deals with the subject of Christian unity. It just seems like so often we're divided up over theological issues. And many times we are dividing over things that don't really matter in the big picture. And so the title kind of indicates that, finding the right hills to die on. We don't want to die on every hill. There are certain things, obviously, we need to stand and fight for certain essential doctrines. So this book kind of puts in perspective what the priorities are. And so I highly recommend Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. You can order the book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.